0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about a new poll from Leger that says a huge, huge number of Canadians seem to be not only okay with having some of their freedom of expression rights taken away, but actually favor having some freedom of expression rights taken away from some people. Really? Really? We're going to dive into that one because this is troubling. And we're going to talk about the Blue Jays Big signing, huge signing for the Blue Jays. But can you really cheer for a guy who played on the Astros team that cheated in the way the Astros did? We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There is a new Leger poll out here in Canada that says 86%, 86% of Canadians think social media sites should ban users who are three things, inciting violence or promoting hatred or sharing misinformation. Now, think about that number for a second and think about what it means and think about the categories. Nearly nine in 10 Canadians are now taking the position, it seems, that having certain elements of their freedoms of expression taken away or curtailed is a positive step. Now, for inciting violence yeah. Okay. I think a lot of people would, would nod in agreement with that and say, yeah, we're, we're, we're not on with that. If you're going to incite violence. Okay. Maybe for promoting hatred it gets a little hazier because now you have to define hatred and whose hatred is bad hatred and whose hatred is just anger or whatever. Um, but then you get into for sharing misinformation. Well, that's basically everybody who's ever used social media. These are interesting, troubling numbers, I think. I want to bring in Joanna Barron. She's the executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation. She joins me now. Joanna, thanks for doing this today.
1: Great to be with you, Scott.
0: I personally find this number, when I see 86%, I find this number entirely troubling that apparently nearly every Canadian, nearly all Canadians want somebody or some voices being stifled if they don't agree with them.
1: Well, it's understandable, right? On its face, it's like, of course, saying mean things and promoting hate and certainly inciting violence and spreading fake news seems like a bad thing. You just have to then think about what it would actually take to enforce these types of policies and who you would have to empower as the arbiter of truth and the arbiter of what constitutes hate in such a way that's impermissible. I think I agreed with what you uh, intonated in your in your introduction that incitement seems clearer, right? Because there you can connect a statement with an action. But right,
0: Let, you put something important. online that says you put something on social media that says, "Let's go kill the prime minister." I, I don't think anyone's going to stand for that. That's a you know, and we would all say, "Yeah, get that person off." We're okay with that person, I guess, being stopped. But it's the other stuff that gets hazier, as I say.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the courts have tried to come up with a clear enough definition of what hate speech is and they've tried to make it objective but i'll read to you what the current definition of the supreme court of canada is it should be applied objectively to determine where whether a reasonable person would view the expression as likely to expose a person to detestation and vilification now you've just opened your thesaurus there <laughs> you haven't yeah. told me anything about the content of the hatred but you see they're trying to make it objective because of course the problem that everybody recognizes with these hate speech provisions is that they're overbroad, subjective, and open to idiosyncratic and therefore unpredictable interpretations. And that will lead to a chilling effect. You want to err on the side of caution, so you will not say anything that even comes close to the line. And that's a big problem for open debate, right? In a democracy, we, we need open debate. We need people to not hold back, and we need them to not be afraid of being... Find or even jailed. These are permission provisions in the criminal code.
0: Well, and, and you know, it, some of these things I'm guessing when people are asked this question, they seem like a really good idea until it's your voice or your opinion that someone now says is hateful or is misinformation. You go, wait a second. No, it isn't. I just had an opinion. Mine isn't hatred. Yours is hate. But as soon as it's yours, suddenly we go, well, wait a second. Now this is not being applied correctly.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I guarantee every myself retweeted a New York Times reporter and it turned out that she had her facts wrong. Well, in certain contexts in Canada, that could open me up to criminal liability in terms of political election speech.
0: Well, you mentioned something a moment ago that, um, that, that I think, and I've talked about this on the show, but I'm glad you did because I I think it's really valid. And that is if we're going to put rules in, or if we would ask that if 86% of us want these kind of rules put in, who is the judge of what is hateful? Because what I feel is hateful may not be what you feel is hateful, may not be what someone else feels is hateful. And I don't know that there's any kind of objective algorithm or objective standard that you could apply to this. So who decides?
1: Well, so it's it's a very practical question in Canada. So as I'm sure you're aware, um, there's a proposal currently being tabled by cabinet by the federal Liberal Party to create a new government regulator specifically for online speech, and this is sort of, come into the spotlight in light of the attacks on the U.S. Capitol this month and the role of social media platforms in organizing. So they would have to create a new, basically, bureaucratic office that would handle these complaints. Um, In the case of uh, litigation that... The legal charity I direct, the Canadian Constitution Foundation, was involved in, which involved actually false statements circulating during an election period. So political speech vote, which we would say should be the most protected, that is policed by the Canada Elections Commissioner. So it's just government bureaucrats, really. Uh, and that's terrifying to me.
0: (laughs) Well, it is, it is because again, uh, who is going to install those people into that job and who is going to choose who those people are. And everybody has points of view and everybody has subjective opinions. And uh, again, humans are not capable of objectivity. They're just, I'm I'm not being insulting. That's a reality. We are not capable of pure objectivity. So whichever party, whichever government puts those people in, presumably they're picking people of similar thought process, that's where you're going to see it.
1: Completely. And as I say, I I think the more likely proximate effect, even before we start to see how these are being enforced, will be to just install a massive chilling effect, not just among users, but also among platforms. Because one of the current policies being tabled, that I think is a policy in uh, many parts of Europe is that platforms take down any uh, hateful posts within 24 hours of the post going up. So in order to avoid fines, which can be hefty, these platforms we've seen have just, you know, been sort of indiscriminate in taking posts down, which just, you know, tamps down on discourse full stop.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Before we get into the misinformation part, Joanne, let me ask you something. And I know you're a lawyer, you're the head of this foundation. You're not a sociologist. Nonetheless, how did we get here? Because even I would guess 25 years ago, society would have thought it was outrageous if we had said we want to have some of our freedoms of expression taken away or even encourage them to be taken away.
1: Yeah, I think we just don't have a culture of liberty. I think think that... um, Cancel culture is really to fault for a lot of this by just um, highlighting highlighting purported abuses, and we've also just lost touch with the value of discourse in a free and open society. We've forgotten the like basic requirements of democratic self governance, which is open debate uh, and the marketplace of ideas. Um, and somehow we have just fallen away from that norm. Maybe we've just you know gotten used to it and taken for well, I- granted, I should say.
0: No, and and I wonder, this poll that I saw anyway was not broken down by age. I'm only guessing, I'm only assuming, I bet that the younger folks who were talked to in this probably feel more strongly that this is okay. That seems to be the, the trend, and I'm wondering if it becomes inevitable at some point, because as the people who are now the younger people moving up into positions of power, if this just becomes where we go.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sad prognosis. I certainly know many anecdotal examples that counter um, that. And I'd like to see what happens if we go into full-on social media regulation mode, um, if people actually, once they see the instantiations and how it will actually be applied and how inchoated it is. I mean, just think about how Gen Z freaked out when it was threatened that they might, um, that they might uh, cancel TikTok. So if we could have some type of generational (laughs) event like that um, to wake them up to their senses, I think it would be very effective.
0: Well, let's go to the third part of this, because we talked about the inciting violence. We talked about the spreading of hatred. The third part that was in this was spreading misinformation. Now, I want to give you an example. Just today, online, people who are baseball fans were probably following along because the Blue Jays, there were reports the Blue Jays were going to be signing a free agent. Uh, based on sources, the people who were putting this out there said, and it was done. It was a done deal. And then all of a sudden we get a note, a bunch of tweets later say, oh, wait, no, that didn't happen. He signed somewhere else. Now that is a a benign, unimportant in the grand scheme of things issue, but it points to the challenge of then determining, okay, what is misinformation? What's fake news? What do we weed out if we're going to say you can't have misinformation? That's a simple one, but it just shows how, Almost everybody is guilty of this at one time or another.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the, the case that I mentioned briefly, but I'll bring it up again because I think it's such an important case that we're involved in that touches on exactly this issue, is a challenge to the Canada Elections Act, which says if you make a false statement about a candidate or a person associated with a candidate, even if you didn't know it was false at the time, you could uh, be hit with a fine of $50,000 and up to five years in prison. And we just said, this is clearly past any type of uh, reasonable limitation on rights, and particularly in political speech. Um, We want people to air out their opinions and to be bold and not have to tamp down on their speech during an election period. We want people to go on Twitter and have a vigorous debate. And so this specific law, which was brought in just before the fall 2019 election, for example, if somebody tweeted, Justin Trudeau is a crook because of his involvement in the SNC Lavalin affair. Well, would that be a, that would that be fake news? Would that be misinformation? Do we really want Trudeau's appointed Canada elections commissioner to be the final determiner of what happens to that person who put out that tweet or even retweet? I mean, it just gets scary. So I just think we have to err on the side of trusting that the square of public opinion and that, you know, the, the best antidote to fake news is accurate news and uh, citizen literacy and an abundance of fact-checking of like what happened today in terms of the Blue Jays rumor that clearly will quickly show itself to be true or false.
0: You, you know, you just said something, that you've said a lot of things that are really interesting, but you just said something else that, that's so so logical. And that is, look, we, you can see all kinds of stuff on social media. You don't have to, no one is forcing you to believe it. So all it takes is for you to go. If you see something that someone has tweeted or put on Facebook and go and look and see if there's any truth to it, as opposed to immediately believing it, but that requires some personal responsibility. And it seems we want to remove that and just say, I don't want to have to think. So you can't put anything in front of me that might make me have to think. I want to be able to see it and believe it.
1: Yeah, precisely. And I think you've just gotten down to the nub of what this disagreement is. Is it my responsibility to inform myself to make sure that my beliefs are accurate, or do I want an algorithm or the Canadian government to do the legwork for me? Mm.
0: It is, uh, I, I find these numbers, quite frankly, terrifying. Uh, I hope other people do too. And uh, I hope with people who are asked to, to be in this survey, if they give it some sober second thought, they would say, wait, I'd like a redo on this one. Cause I, I just, I, I, 86% of people being in favor of this, uh, don't know. Joanna Barron, executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Really appreciate you taking time today. Thanks for doing this.
1: Great speaking to you, Scott.
0: Again, if if you are one of those people who is saying to yourself, wait, I'm okay with this. Once again, I go back. There's three parts to this question. The one is about inciting violence. Yeah, okay. I think we can agree more or less on that one. But the other ones, really? You really want to let a government of whatever stripe, whoever's in office, whoever's in power at the time, create a star chamber of their own people to decide how to interpret what is hateful or what is misinformation. And if you don't fall under the appropriate umbrella, you want to be shut down or have other people like you or other people with different views shut. Come on. That's but, but that's what people are saying they're good with. Be smarter people. Come on. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Very large numbers, like as in $150 million numbers, given to George Springer by the Toronto Blue Jays to come and play center field for them for the next six years. Uh, Very big contract. Biggest contract in team history, in fact, which has caused a lot of Blue Jay fans to be uh, rather exuberant. I want to bring in Rick Zamprin. Uh, Just finished a nine-hour shift here on CHML, and now he's back with us again. Always happy, apparently, to talk sports. Rick, how are you tonight?
2: How are you, Scott? There we go. Where do you go, Rick, How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
0: So uh, what was your thought on this uh, on this signing today? Is this the is this the moment the clouds parted and the heavenly host began to sing and all became well in the
2: Blue Jays world? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, the signing is certainly exciting because <clears throat> you know you look at the name, you look at the pedigree, you look at what George Springer has achieved in his career. And, you know, there's check marks across the board, a World Series winner, a World Series MVP, uh, a leadoff hitter who has some pop, uh, you know, defensively stout in in center field, a guy who is just past 30, 31, um, and who will fit nicely into the Blue Jays lineup. Uh, There are some, you know, cons when you're looking at the pro and con scale and the the cons being, as you mentioned, you know, this is the richest contract in Blue Jays history. I mean, you know what? Did, did they overpay? Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, when you look at the markets, uh, uh, other guys are not getting this kind of dollar figure. But, you know, you look at the border situation. Are the Jays going to be playing in Toronto? And, you know, anecdotally, some players are kind of wondering, you know, if that's going to be a good fit for them, especially long term. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, this is a proven commodity who, yes, is probably getting overpaid by a team who wants him. But at the end of the day, I think this team has a lot greater needs and it's not A, in the outfield, and it's B, not in their batting order. It is a big fat C because that's probably the grade that they get on the pitching mound going into the season unless they make some improvements.
0: I will not take issue with anything you said about George Springer's ability as a baseball player. I'm certainly uh, in agreement you're accurate with his resume as far as World Series MVP and all those kind of things. Here's the problem I have with it, Rick, and it's got very little to do with his what he may or may not bring to the Blue Jays. I want to be excited about this, but George Springer was a key part of the Houston Astros team that cheated and cheated badly and committed one of the greatest scandals in modern baseball history and somehow avoided any individual penalty for the team got a fine, you know, but none of the players who were involved got penalized. And I'm sorry, I cannot, I cannot root for someone who was part of that and who, to me, his World Series MVP is tarnished. It it doesn't even really in my mind exist. I just have such a hard time with the idea of this guy being the person we're supposed to be excited about when he comes from this pedigree of scandal and cheating.
2: So are you saying that if come a World Series appearance by the Blue Jays, let's just say whether it's in 2021 or beyond, two outs, bottom of the ninth, uh, Jays down by one, a man is on second, Springer is at the plate, you're not cheering him to get a hit or a home run or, or win the World Series for the Jays? Based
0: on, I love baseball. I love baseball and I love the history of baseball and the sanctity if you want to call it that's a huge word but anyway <laughs> my 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 hope this year is that first of all because the the Astros players first of all never got penalized by baseball right and then There were no fans in the stands, so they never really had to even deal with the fallout from the opposition fans. They never had to go to other stadiums and like Barry Bonds did or A-Rod or these guys when they got busted for stuff. My hope is that every time George Springer comes up to bat this year, he gets drilled by a pitch. Every single time. I want him to be hit by a pitch 500 times this year. (laughs) (laughs) along with every other Houston Astros player. And so the answer to your question, if he comes up and the Blue Jays have the winning run for the World Series, I want him to be drilled in the ribs, and then the next guy can hit the (laughs) drive in the winning run.
2: That's a great way to look at it. Uh, Listen, yeah, I'm I'm in wholehearted agreement with you in terms of the lack of penalties, uh, or penalty really, because nothing was really done uh, against the Houston Astros. That shouldn't be the fault of the Blue Jays, although obviously they're bringing in a... You know, a quote-unquote cheater onto their roster, but you know, Major League Baseball really goofed this one up. Uh, there, there should have been yeah. suspensions, uh, maybe lifetime bans. I mean, you look at the nineteen nineteen. Hank songs. Aaron,
0: Hank Aaron yeah. called for that
2: exactly, and you know, a whole team basically got banned after throwing the nineteen nineteen World Series. So, yeah, baseball goofed. Uh, the Jays, uh, you know, th- they're going to be a little bit stained by this. All the players on the Astros are going to live with that legacy. Uh, for the rest of their lives. So, you know, from a baseball perspective, I like it, but yes, I do understand from an optics perspective where you're coming from.
0: I'm going to start calling him shoeless George Springer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, as I say, I I just,
0: uh, you know, look, there is something, and you're right, it's not entirely his fault because, I mean, he was part of that team. It was baseball that failed to handle this in my mind properly by not dealing with these guys. I don't think that any of them, should have played one inning who was on that team last year. I think the entire franchise should have been shuttered for a year yeah. and not even allowed to play and none of them should have been paid. That's, you know, when you when you do what they did, um, you know what to maintain the integrity of the sport, you can't do that. And, and you're you're exactly right. The white the 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 Black Sox scandal, the, those guys are still banished. Shoeless Joe Jackson is still not in the Hall of Fame. And there's questions about whether or not Shoeless Joe Jackson was ever even really involved. He hit something like 440 in that World Series when they were yeah. allegedly tossing the games. Mm. Uh, you know, I, it's hard. It, to me, it's really hard to root for this guy. And so while everyone's really excited about it, man, I would have been way more, well, not way more excited. I would have been more excited if Michael Brantley, who the Jays were allegedly getting, if he had come. Now, w- explain that story, because I'm I'm doing some work today and I've got Twitter on, on the screen, and it's sort of flashing up. And the, the Jays have Michael Brantley, who's, you know, he's not a star anymore, but he's a very, very good player, good hitter. And then all of a sudden,
2: wait, no, they don't. What happened? <laughs> yeah, very strange, because, you know, we woke up early this morning and went to bed last night, uh, you know, realizing that the Springer deal was done. And then, you know, uh, midway uh, of, of mid-morning today, you know, Michael Brantley is coming to Toronto. And, you know, that ramped up the excitement, because here's another you know, uh, outfielder who has some speed and plays some good D and has a pretty good bat, you know, is, is an all-star, uh, injury-prone, although I, I should say over the last, you know, number of seasons. And I think that may have been the holdup because, you know, after it was reported, the Blue Jays quickly said, hey, you know, this isn't a done deal by any means uh, right now, but we are still very interested in Michael Brantley. And lo and behold, an hour or two later, uh, you know, he has officially signed or re-signed with the Houston Astros. So I think it may have been due to, um, uh, the pending physical that we always hear about. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at the deal that he did sign with uh, the Stros, two years, $32 million, so $16 million per, basically, uh, I would have been interested to hear the number from Toronto, because they were offering a three-year contract. So was it three years and 32, you know, an extra year, but the same money? You know, Brantley's 33. Does he hope to retire by 35? That might have played a part in it.
0: Yeah. um, You know what? They they do need pitching, but at least uh, least we're talking about something. We may not agree with everything that they're doing, but at least we're talking about something. And at least finally for Blue Jays fans, whether you agree with me or disagree with me about your rooting ability for George Springer, at least finally they didn't finish second in the bidding to someone because that was getting old.
2: Yeah. And you know what? All this offseason during the winter meetings, especially, you know, general manager Ross Atkins and team president Mark Shapiro were basically saying that, listen, we're going to make a big splash. We have the budget to do so. We're committed to do so. You know, watch us. And well, we've been waiting basically since November, December uh, to see what this team would do. And they finally they've done a couple of tinkering here and there, but this is a big splash in terms of, you know, a talented hitter and fielder um how he's going to mesh in the clubhouse that's going to be interesting obviously given you know the situation he's coming from in, in the houston astro scandal but uh this is a big bat that they've added to the lineup but uh, yeah they, they need some more arms on the mound
0: let me change tack let me change sports for a second here because uh we've now had about. Two weeks, week, well, week maybe only, week and a half, whatever it is. Not a long time, but we've had long enough now to look at the Canadian division of the NHL and the way this thing is going. Uh, for I mean, I'm assuming everybody knows, but because of COVID, because teams can't cross the border, the Canadian teams are only playing the Canadian teams this year. It has created some interesting scenarios, whereas you might see a team back-to-back maybe In a rarity, maybe twice or three times in the course of a year, you'd have a back-to-back with a team. Now, the Leafs are playing the Edmonton Oilers four times before this month is out. Um, What do you think about, now that you've got a bit of a taste and a little bit of a flavor of this Canadian division, what do you think?
2: The reason why they're doing it is obviously COVID related. You know, they don't want teams traveling from city to city to city. They'll, you know, Toronto will go to Montreal for a couple of games or, you know, Toronto, Calgary will play three in a row, uh, you know, three, three games in four nights. So from a travel standpoint and from a, you know, trying to curb the spread of the uh, of the virus, I think it all makes sense. But I think from a, and it's really early going, as you mentioned, we're only a weekend, but the, the, the back-to-back, um, you know, the Toronto-Ottawa played, you know, a couple of games in a row, Friday, Saturday. I think, I, I like this element because, you know, we see it every once in a while, as you mentioned, during a regular, regular season. Um, and now knowing that this, there's going to be a lot of this, I think it only amplifies um, the future, I think, hatred that teams are really going to, you know, uh, uh, grow upon each other. You know, Calgary-Edmonton, they've hated each other for eons. Toronto-Montreal, to a certain extent, although not as violent as past uh, you know, incursions between the Flames and Oilers. But at the end of the day, I think this is going to increase the, as I said, the hatred or the animosity between the two teams. I think that the more interesting element to me, though, is you know the health of the players and especially the goaltenders. Do you play Freddie Anderson back to back? Does Carey Price do you know two games in a row? Does he play you know three out of four or all four in a row? I think from a goaltending perspective, uh, this may be the most interesting season for them and for the coaches trying to handle them
0: there would be uh, and i mean we're still very early in this one of the other things that i'm finding so interesting and when i say interesting if it was a slightly different scenario around here the word might not be interesting it might be something else but because every team you play is now in your division every game you play is in your division so if you lose you're giving points to the team you're trying to catch, and yeah. every game takes on extra importance, which means Vancouver and Edmonton, right now, which are off to very slow starts, we're now a week and a half or whatever it is into the season. And Rick, there's already full on panic in those cities <laughs> about what is going on. Imagine if Toronto had started one and three or one and four, what would be going on? But it's just, it's, it's escalated the importance of every game. It, without a doubt,
2: it, it's intensified each and every matchup because, hey, if you lose an overtime or a shootout, you still get a point. So you're only one point behind that team. But if you lose in regulation because the other team is in that same division as you and, and every game is like that, if you keep losing in regulation, you're falling a further two points and another two points and another two points back of, you know, at least four teams that you're chasing because only the top four make the playoffs out of this seven-team division. The other the other division's at eight. So it's even harder to get because you have to, you know, somersault one more team. But with this North Division, yeah, you mentioned it. Edmonton, Vancouver, they're maybe not in full-on panic mode. They're already asking themselves questions as to, you know, are we okay in the goaltending? Do we have to make a move already? Uh, you know, can we, you know, rely on our top line to produce? Do we have to juggle these lines? Uh, from a coaching perspective, the coaches are under intense, secure, or intense scrutiny, as are the players, because if they're not performing and you fall further back, it's going to take, uh, you know, a long time to get back in there, especially with these three-point games.
0: Well, I, I, look, I'm not predicting this, but the Leafs play the Oilers four times, as I said, before the end of the month. If the Leafs, for example, and you can pick whatever other mixture you want, but if the Leafs were to win three of those four games, already at this point in the season, you're eight points up on the Oilers. I mean, that's right. already a lot. And it's just, there's so much of these games compressed into such a short time. And as I said, with and you said, there's with every game Separating you from one of your competitors, boy, oh boy! I mean, you you could have full-on panic in some of these teams before the first month of the season was done.
2: Yeah, and you know, all things considered, if you know, the Leafs right now are four points up on on Edmonton. If they win, you know, three out of those four, those you know, that's an extra four points. Uh, and now you're, you know, now you're eight points up. Now Edmonton is, you know, looking way up at the top of the standings. And I know teams are going to go on streaks. But those streaks, especially the losing ones that you can curtail quickly, are going to benefit and improve your playoff chances.
0: We talked about this before. Um, one of the things that I really believe, though, and this is where things get really interesting with this division. Everyone has said the Ottawa Senators are going to finish dead last. I don't believe that. I've said it all along. I don't. I don't. I don't think they're going to finish first. I don't think they're necessarily going to get one of those four playoff spots. I don't think they're going to finish last, but because they were seen as such a patsy this year, boy, it seems like if you play the Senators and you don't win, like the Leafs already experienced once, um, it's like getting kicked in the stomach and slapped in the face all at the same time. Because now you've just, you've given
2: away gifted points to you. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Sure, I mean Ottawa should, at least on paper, they should be the the bottom feeder of this division. I think at the end of the day, they probably will be because over a 56 game season, and you know obviously that's still less than the, the the normal 82. I think that you know unless a team really tanks or you know trades away a bunch of assets at the trade deadline, I think Ottawa, at least on paper, should finish last. Um, no team is going to be zero and fifty-six, and no team is going to be fifty-six and zero. So you're going to lose those games against Ottawa. You're going to lose against Detroit. You're going to fall to you know the New Jersey Devils, the the, the lower-level teams, or at least conceivably on paper, those teams that shouldn't be anywhere close to a playoff spot. They're going to win their fair share of games here and there. Uh, they're not going to be you know two and, and, and fifty-four. But at the end of the day, you know they're all competitors. Sometimes a, you know a player or two has a bad game or a really good game, and they can steal a couple of points. As the Leafs kind of found that out last Friday, although I will say Ottawa clearly deserved to win that game. Um, but I still think the Sens, you know, after 56 games, I don't know if they're going to have more points than any other team in this division, because I think every other team in this division uh, is a little bit or a lot ahead of where the Sens are right now.
0: I'm just checking Twitter to see if the Blue Jays have signed four or five pitchers as well today, <laughs> and uh, the answer is no, not yet. So, um, you know, Patrick, this, this let's get at her. Well, yeah, thank you, Letter Kenny. Uh they they uh they may have to win their games nine eight this year, but they may be able to do it. Who knows? We will uh we will see. Uh, Rick Sanford always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking some time. You got it. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.